Good afternoon, Kingdom Vineyard. Uh, I am Maddie, and I'm going to throw this on the floor. Um, And I am a voluntary pastoral assistant here at Kingdom Vineyard. And in this role, I work in evangelism as well as with all of our under-18s. For those of you that were here last week, you got to see me and my lovely dance moves up here with the kids. Um, So yeah, the last couple of weeks... We have taken a short pause from our book of Daniel, and we've given um, some talks that are more based on some of the family business of this church. Two weeks ago, we looked at um, our heart towards money and some of the specifics of the finances of this church. And then last week, we took some time to celebrate the families, kids, and young people of this church while looking at what it means to have a childlike faith. I can absolutely endorse these talks to you, and if you have any other questions about these topics, please feel free to get in touch with anyone in our office staff. We talk about these things because we think that they're important. So today, we are jumping back into the book of Daniel. Before we get into today's passage, I want us to look um, and recap the first four books of Daniel. We start with Israel um, living in exile in Babylon under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his friends, they were part of a group of young men who were brought to the palace to be educated. They were taught the Babylonian language and they were given some new names. In this time, Daniel and his friends remained faithful to God. We can see in the first chapter that they do this through refusing the king's food and eating only what God told them to do, Um, only what God told them to eat. In chapter two, we have Nebuchadnezzar um, and his first dream. He is determined that this dream is of great importance, and so he seeks his wise men, the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers, but they're unable to interpret the dream for him. And he has um, ordered all the wise men to be sentenced to death. After hearing this, Daniel seeks God and goes in faith to share the dream that the king had and also its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely blown away by this. He praises God and he also promotes Daniel. But this praising of God has not obviously set in because the king... Uh, we see in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds himself a statue and forces everybody to bow down to it. Doesn't seem like he's gotten this whole God being the one true God thing. Uh, And Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow. When the king finds out about this, he throws them in a fiery furnace. Despite the heat and the fire, these three men were not singed, they were not Their clothing was not burned, and their clothing did not smell of fire. This was a miracle again. And Nebuchadnezzar again praises God for this, promotes these three men, and even makes a decree that anybody who speaks against the God of these people, um, that they would be punished. So Nebuchadnezzar continually experiences these moments with God where he recognizes God. But still, he is full of pride, and he's not fully understood that Daniel's God is the one true God. Then the 
Then Nebuchadnezzar receives another dream, and Daniel interprets it. This is a warning. The king did not listen, and he is humbled by God, just as the dream said. Nebuchadnezzar had these several attempts, and each of them led to praise and worship, but only in that moment. It wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by God that he remembers who God is. In our passage today, we leap forward about 30 years after Nebuchadnezzar, and we have one of his descendants as King Belshazzar. As we look at today's passage, I want us to think about the legacy of Nebuchadnezzar. Were those that were close to him, that be his family, his friends, the nobles that were there alongside him, were they able to learn from his mistakes? Were they able to remember what God had done in and through Nebuchadnezzar? As we go through today's passage, my main takeaway for you is remember, God is our rock. Now, we're going to get into today's passage, and my friend Anna uh, is going to read it today. It is Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 16 in our NIV translation. Okay, let's read. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? 
I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Thank you, Anna. I imagine you all are on the edge of your pews wondering what that writing says. To find out, you will need to come back next week and hear next week's talk. One of my favorite things about spending time in this passage preparing for this breach has been how vivid the language used in this is. Like, I can't help but imagine myself there. And so as we first start our dive into this passage, I want us to engage our imaginations and get into this passage. So get comfortable, close your eyes if you would like to, but we are going to imagine ourselves in this scene. So you are one of the many guests of King Belshazzar in this large banquet hall. Wine is flowing, the evening is progressing, and the faces of those around you are getting redder. The wits of those around you are going, and the room is getting louder with laughter. By the stage in the evening, the noblemen are, not, are so drunk that they don't even care that the king's wives and mistresses are there. This has turned into quite the event. You see Belshazzar drinking, and he seems to have gotten a great idea. He calls over the servants and um, orders them to go get some drinking vessels from the shrines of the god. Um, these vessels were originally from the Jewish people in their temple to God. As the servants pass out these vessels topped with wine to the king and his guests, the room around you erupts into drunken songs of praise of various gods. As you're enjoying yourself, you hear a shriek from the, the king. You turn, there are fingers of a hand writing on the wall. You think to yourself that you might be mad. Maybe you've drank too much wine, but no. Illuminated as clear as day by the lamp, you see writing on the wall. As you try to focus your eyes on that writing, you can't read the letters. Based on the king's reaction, he can't either. If you were there, and saw this hand appear out of nowhere, writing words that you could not read, what would you do? Who would you call? In our story today, we see two different responses to the writing on the wall. One from King Belshazzar, and the other from the Queen Mother. As we look at the responses, I want us to remember those four chapters that came before all that, that Nebuchadnezzar went through and think, have they remembered that God is our rock? So first, let us look at King Belshazzar's response found in verses six through nine. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then, he said to those wise men of Babylon, 
Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have gold chains placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in and they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew pale. His nobles were baffled. King Belshazzar is clearly scared. He also appears to be a bit guilty in his response. And I think this guilt makes sense because he is currently desecrating the vessels of the Most High God. Belshazzar drinking from these vessels is not only saying that he believes that he has conquered the Jewish people, but also their God. No wonder Belshazzar responds with fear. What he has done is wrong. In his drunken panic, he calls out for his kingdom's wise men, men that could not interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Belshazzar's actions speak loudly. He clearly has not remembered what Nebuchadnezzar went through. Belshazzar has put his trust in his own strength and in his kingdom's strength, rather than the strength and the kingdom of God. So in case that wasn't clear, I don't recommend his response. Second, let's look at the queen mother's response in verses 10 through 12. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, said, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. He also had the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Despite the king's drunken recklessness, the queen's mother's first response as she enters the room is compassion towards him. She calms him down. Then she reminds him that we have access, that they had access to God's wisdom through a man called Daniel. She was able to diffuse the situation, and on, request, um, and on her request, Daniel was brought in to read the words. These two responses could not be more different. On one end, we have Belteshar acting absolutely sinful as he is drunkenly and recklessly um, behaving in this party, and his response to the situation is frantic and fearful. On the other hand, we have the queen mother, who is calm, she is cool, she is collected. It took this sober-minded woman to come into this situation to be able to resolve it. 
And I think because she remembered the series of events that Nebuchadnezzar um, went through and knew, she knew exactly who to call. She put her trust in Daniel and the God of Daniel rather than the earthly wisdom of Babylon. And because she responded, and because of this, she responded far better than the king. As we look at how they both responded to this unexpected event, I want us to think about whose response best matches how we would respond to an unexpected event. What is the first thing that we reach for when something goes wrong? What is, some, what is the first thing we reach for when something doesn't go to plan, when something scares us? Do we remember who God is and what he's done before? Do we remember to put our trust in God with everything, that he is our rock and our stable foundation? I love that we got to sing that song during our worship set today. In our passage here, the Queen Mother, she got to know God through Daniel. Today, we are able to get to know God through Jesus, our high priest. As we are looking to apply this story, it is not that we are remembering just what Daniel did and what God did through Daniel, but we get to look at an even better Daniel, Jesus. So, we need to ask, do we look to the person who has the very counsel of God to offer us, that being Jesus, or do we look to something else? You may be sitting here thinking, ugh, man, I really struggle to reach out for God first. I say I trust him, but when the rubber hits the road, I actually trust money. I actually trust other people's opinions. I actually trust good grades more than I trust God. The first thing I would say to you is you are not alone. I struggle with this quite a bit. And to be honest, I think, if we're all being honest, I think a lot of us struggle with this. The second thing I would say is some good news. We can grow in our ability to trust God. We can do this through fixing our eyes on Jesus and walking closer to him. This doesn't make those temptations go away, but as we walk with Jesus, it builds our trust in God and allows us to put our feet on that firm foundation, our rock. So how do we know if we are putting our trust in God? Some of you will know that I am reaching the end of my time as a VPA here at KV, which means I'm currently figuring out what happens next. Throughout this time, there have been really lovely moments where I've sat with God and incredibly enthusiastic for what he has in store for me next, earnestly saying, God, I want your will, not mine and looking for what he has planned, because I know that it is good. But there are also other times when I get distracted by the idea of a good stable salary, 
or I get distracted by the opinions of my very lovely friends and family. Or maybe I even get distracted about chasing a qualification that I might not need or might not be best for me. Now I might, I might end up in a job or a role that my friends and family approve of or has a good and stable um, salary. That's not the point here. The point is what is the thing that I'm basing my decision on? Is it God or is it those things? Is my trust in God knowing that he will provide for my needs and prepare for me this good path. I don't want to make my decision based on money or um, the approval of others, but from a place of remembering what God has done before and that he is my rock. So how do we grow in trust? How do we respond more like the Queen Mother and less like King Belshazzar? The key is to remember that God is our rock. The Queen, rem- the queen Mother remembered that Dan- what Daniel had done before, so she knew who to ask. The problem is that we don't realize how bad we are at remembering. Like, this is a general people thing. Uh, I've studied some psychology, and we're just really bad at remembering. And we see this in the Bible a lot as well. You see the people of Israel continually just forgetting what God had done just moments before. And it's really easy for us when it's written down very clearly to to be very frustrated with them. But the reality is when we're walking our lives with God, he can say something to us and moments later we forget it. So have a little bit of compassion for Israel when you're reading the Bible. How do we do a better job at remembering then? I recently had a teacher say, the rock of your testimony is writing things down. Documenting what God has done creates a foundation that we can stand on. I believe writing down our God stories is the key to remembering that God is our rock. There are three things that we can do practically to work on our remembering. First, build a habit of recording what God is doing in your life. This way you have a concrete way of remembering things to go back to. Second, Build a habit of going back over what God has done in your life. This allows us to sit in those stories and remember what God has done before. We can then from there pray, God, do it again. But also, it helps train us to know what to do in future situations as well. And then lastly, let's build a culture of sharing stories of God with one another. This is a great way to build up each other as a church. And it's also a great way of giving somebody else a starting place with their God stories. For recording stories, there is no wrong way of going about this. The right way is whatever works for you. Whatever gets you writing things or recording things and then being able to look back at them. So I brought along a little prop. 
This is the journal that I use to write down my God stories. This is my most recent page here. And so I find it best to have a place to write things down. The things that I find very important in doing this is to write down how I felt in that moment and how I knew it was God because those are the things that are important for me to look back on. Because I'm someone who very frequently goes, but was that really gone? When I've written it down, I know I can trust it later. Now, the types of things that we can record can be all sorts of different things. It can be the extravagant writing on walls, like we see in this story, or it might be um, some of the examples from my journal here are, I prayed for someone last week and God just blessed them with holy laughter and it was a really lovely moment. Or maybe you offered prayer to someone on the streets and you saw the spirit fall on them and peace enter them. Or maybe you saw someone get miraculously healed. There's a whole range of ways that we see God move in our community. As we come into land, let's recap what we've talked about today. We've looked at the first half of the story of the writing on the wall, taking special note of how poorly King Belshazzar responded and how well the Queen Mother responded. We asked ourselves, how might we respond in a moment like this? And we explored how best to remember that God is our rock and how to put our trust in him in when unexpected things happen so that we can remember to turn to God. As we close today, I want, us, I want to invite us all to be on the lookout for what God is doing in each of our lives. For those of you who have not yet started recording what God is doing, I highly encourage you to start that now. Let us together build up a bank of stories to help each other remember what God is doing. Now, if you are able, I would love you to stand with me as I pray to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our rock and our foundation. I pray that you help us to remember and help us build those foundations strong with stories of you. Lord, we pray that you are the center. May we build a culture of stories of what you are doing. And yes, Lord, we pray to do it again in our time and in our place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.